uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So I think in starting Third John, since it's such a short epistle, it's short and sweet, uh, about 14 verses, that maybe we can just read it from top to bottom, um, from the very start, and then we can go back and just pick out um, each verse, verse by verse. So whoever wants to read first. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. But come born witness of your love before the church. <coughs> if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Theotrephus, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, parading against us with malicious words. Not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all, from the truth itself. We also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write to you, but I did not wish to write to you but with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you, our, father, our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. All right. Okay, so who's the author? St. John. Again, just like the second epistle, his name is not specifically mentioned at the beginning, but he starts literally the exact same way as in the second epistle, he says the elder. And so, uh, again, um, according to our tradition, um, the author is the very same author as first and second John. And you, you'll see um, the, the exact same flavor in the epistle, um, exact same style, similar content, and so uh, there's really no debate as to who wrote this epistle. Now, it's St. John, but who's he writing to? Gaius. So that is the recipient of this epistle or this letter. So who is who is Gaius? Who is Gaius? Church leader. He's a church leader. Very good. Um, he is at the very least a believer, right? And it, it follows like the same um, theme as to all the recipients of just about everything that St. John has written. Um, the Gospel of John, it's to the believers. Um, first epistle, second epistle, we know we're to believers. Revelations, um, actually written to the different churches, right? Or the angels are um, representatives of the bishops of each uh, respective church. So, 
John is always like the insider guy. He's the insider author. Okay. So Gaius is a believer. Now, it, it's not exactly clear which Gaius this is specifically. Um, so there are a few possibilities as to which uh, Gaius this is. There's um, a couple of different Gaiuses that St. Paul mentions. In Romans, um, there's a Gaius from Corinth that he mentions, and then in 1 Corinthians, there's another Gaius in the same place, again, in Corinth. So there, there are those two, um, and that one is different than one that we mentioned first in Romans. In, in Acts, we know of a Gaius in Macedonia, and uh, we also know of a Gaius from Derby. Okay, so there are a few different ones. Um, that's more of the historical context, if you were to look at this from a more like literary approach. Um, but again, it's irrelevant really which one it is. Uh, we do know that he is a church leader. Okay, he is a believer, someone who is in the church, and so um, any servant, any Christian can benefit from this epistle. So we can literally plug our own name instead of Gaius into this epistle and we'll find that the words of St. John apply directly to us. Does that make sense? Any Christian, anyone who's serving, anyone who's leading, and if you are Christian, you are, by virtue of your relation to Christ, a, a servant, a leader. And so any Christian um, fits as the recipient for this letter, um, and it applies to, to any of any one of us. All right, so just a quick little overview, overview of the entire epistle, um, and that's why I wanted to just read it from top to bottom before we dissect each verse. Um, Andreas says, John writes this letter to encourage some fellow believers. He writes to Gaius and testifies to his great hospitality, which he praises. He says that someone who does such good is from God. He goes on to tell him to expel Diotrephus, who has not learned to do the same thing. He also praises Demetrius for doing the same as Gaius and mentions his faith as a testimony to his virtue. His main purpose for writing is the same as it was in his second epistle, or his second letter. And... We already discussed that. Does that make sense? So get a little overview. He's writing the guys. He's telling him um, the, uh, the difference between uh, right and wrong. He mentions the uh, example in Diotrephus, like this is the wrong thing. You don't want to follow him. And then in contrast, he mentions Demetrius. He says um, that uh, this, this um, person is... Um, living uh, a life of faith and virtue. And so he, he guides Gaius to continue along the same path that he's taking because he uh, speaks of his, his faith and his virtue and uh, how he is caring for the church. Okay? Any questions before we get into Idris? Alright, so that, that pretty much covers a good general overview. So let's let's just read 
verse 1 to 4, and then we could just focus on that. Just the very, very beginning. We could almost break it up into fourths, like uh, quarters. So, four verses um, in, in each quarter. Or something close to three or four verses in each corner. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Sorry, that's the second one. My bad. <laughs> My bad. We heard what he had to say to the lady. <laughs> the elder to the beloved guys, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Okay. What do you, what do you get from the very start? Proud of him. He's proud of him. He's proud of him. He's glad to see that he is walking on the path that he's taking now. Um, and, and he wishes him well. I mean, from the very start, he, he says, I pray that you may prosper in all things. That you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Okay? Um, this is important because it tells us a little bit about what John cares about in regards to the whole person. Okay? Because John knows that his soul is in the right place. Right? And so he says, just as your soul is in the right place, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Which is essentially a wish for his physical well-being. Okay? Um, some of the fathers said that uh, uh, Gaius might have been sick, that he had a specific illness. We're not sure, but um, regardless of what his condition was, we know that St. John is, is concerned about his well-being as a whole, like his physical fitness, um, that he would recover from any illness if, if he was physically sick, and that he would be healthy physically. <laughs> just as his soul prospers. Um, and, and that's always important for the Christian to, to understand that, that whole scope of life, the whole being, body and, and soul or spirit. Okay? So, what is the... The, the predominant reason for St. John's joy. What is it? Yes. That, that Gaius is walking in truth. Um, he even says that I have no greater joy than to hear that. Like it's a big, bold statement. Um, in, the, in the previous epistle, Also in the exact same number verse, because this is verse 4, in the previous episode, also verse 4. <laughs> he says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children, what? Walking in truth. Okay? As we have received command, commandment from the Father. 
Now, Okumenius says a little bit about what it really means for Gaius to be walking in the truth. So this was um, a nice explanation. It says, Gaius is walking in the truth because he is following the gospel in all its pure simplicity. To walk does not mean to put one foot in front of the other, but to make orderly spiritual progress within the limits of what the soul is able to bear. Okay, so it's not a matter of physically advancing like walking. It's, it's a matter of your spiritual advancement. Um, and so he sees that Gaius is spiritually advancing, that he is making progress. Um, and he's doing so in all its pure simplicity. And, and he's making progress within the limits of what the soul is able to bear. Um, so what the fathers speak about here is that he, he notices something very simple about Gaius, something that is pure. Um, Gaius doesn't seem to be um, like Timothy, for example, like St. Paul is writing to Timothy as, um, as, as a bishop, you know, and he's saying, let no one despise your youth, and he knows that Timothy is a big figure. But we, we don't see something like that in Gaius, but we, but we do see something incredible in the simplicity of who he is. Um, it, it could be several different Gaiuses, like we said. So we don't know how um, significant his role might have been, and he might have been just a very simple man, but he was walking in pure simplicity, and, and that was very, very important for John to see in, in a leader. Um, so I, I, I can really take a lot from that personally because I think sometimes we, we stray in our thinking of what really makes a good Christian leader is that he, he or she has to be a big figure or he or she has to do big things um, that has to like establish a new ministry or has to have a big name or something like that. Um, but this really brings my mind, at least, back to um, one of the fundamental uh, concepts or qualities of leadership, is just to be pure and simple in, in the very little things. And the quote is that the gospel in all its pure simplicity, ultimately that's love, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, later on, he goes to show that he's very hospitable and he's very loving to others. Exactly. So. Exactly. And that's where you see, like, this was the foundation of what a leader and a servant is all about. Um, I think, like, like I said, at least for me personally, like, I overlook this a lot. Um, the next few verses, like Jack is saying, talks about why St. John thought that Gaius is walking in the truth. Because he was caring for the brethren and for strangers. He was doing so faithfully. And he was doing so with love. He's just hospita hospitable. Um, he's not this big-time bishop or some, someone um, building churches or uh, 
huge ministries or something like that. But it's very, very simple. It's, it's always the foundation. It's just the, the actions of love. So when we see anyone walking on this road and, and really takes that concept to heart, we know that we have succeeded in that discipleship. For, for, for any shepherd to be successful, is to, uh, for, for any shepherd to be joyful, he has to see this in his sheep. Um, any servant who is, is joyful is because he sees his students or his disciples um, grounded in this sort of love and hospitality and simplicity. So Father Tadras says, the subject of the joy of the shepherd is to see and hear that all whom he serves are abiding in the truth and are testified of the truth. This is an exhilarating joy which makes the servant forget all the labor of the service when he sees joyful fruits. A lot of times, just serving, we are like burdened by all the struggles, maybe we're burdened by the lack of progress. Um, if we don't see specific outcomes that we're looking for, it does uh, challenge us. But once we see the, the transformation of the ones we serve, not necessarily that we're seeing um, uh, an, an astounding number of members increasing in the church, or that we're seeing um, something mon monumental like that, but we're seeing sheep that are walking in the right path. That is essentially what makes the servant Rejoice. That's essentially what, what makes us forget all of the burdens of the work and the labor and, and what really does fuel us to serve even more. When, when, when we're tired but we see that, that the fruit of our labor is that our, our children are coming closer to Christ. Like, for me at least, like, that's what fuels me. Like, whenever I go to serve and I know um, that, that there's like a spark in someone's heart that just kind of happened and um, they're more eager to pray now or uh, this person is more eager to read the Bible uh, this person is more eager to go serve um, that's what is, is the, the, the fundamental fuel for any servant any, any thoughts or comments on that? Alright, so let's read the next four verses. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers, who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. 
Alright, what do you guys think? Verse 5 there doesn't um, it doesn't seem like guys is differentiating between those who are close to him and those who are far, right? He's saying you're treating everybody the same, whether it's a brother or a stranger. Because mm. um, sometimes we, we do better things for the people that we're closest to, because right. that's just what comes naturally. Uh, but he's saying that you do it faithfully. Um, whatever you do for the brethren, you're also doing the same thing for the strangers. So that's that the hallmark of faithfulness, that it's unpartial. There's, there's, it's unbiased. Um, and as much as we are faithful, that partiality doesn't exist. And uh, whenever we see a little bit of that partiality kind of creeping in to our work, then uh, we're, we're sure to know that we are not really faithful. <laughs> um, so that's the, the cause of his work or his labor. It's his faithfulness. His faithfulness is what's producing his uh, his work of charity. Okay, so Bede says, Gaius's loyalty is the result of his faith. So what John means is that Gaius is doing all these things because he's a believer and wants to show his faith in the things that he does. Okay, so we see faith and works working hand in hand. So because he is a man of faith, um, his works show for it. And he's working, um, just like Jack said, with no partiality, no bias, um, no discrimination between who deserves this or that. Um, for the brethren, uh, the people that are in the body of Christ, and the strangers, the people who don't even know who Christ is. And, and those whom he serves have borne witness of your love before the church. That's huge. Because that's essentially what service is all about. That's essentially what transforms others. When, when the ones we serve bear witness to our love and and whatever we're doing is founded in love and so that they can experience that love 
if, if, if others cannot experience God's love in us, we will never benefit them. Um, every, every service is a product of that love. And if we're faithful, we will bear witness to that love in whatever, whatever we do. Whether it's in our interactions with people or just uh, in, in our own personal time praying for others. It's always an expression of love. It's always a, a, a labor. Um, and, and it's that love that ultimately transforms people. If, if it's not God's love, then nothing will transform anyone to, to come closer to God. So the best thing we can do is to reveal that love. To, to others. So then he says, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Taking nothing from the Gentiles, but then now that I heard it again, does it mean that he's changed them in a way when they leave him? Yes. So, all the provisions now come from the body of Christ. Because when we bear witness to the love of God and we're integrated into the body of Christ, all we need comes from the church. Um, and, and we know that the apostles uh, lived um, in, in unity. Um, they shared all things in common with one another. Um, they provided for each other's needs in that way. And so when any person is, is grafted into the faith, um, they don't need anything else from the world. They don't need anything else outside of the body of Christ. Um, and, and he's also telling this to a, a leader, almost like a priest or any sort of servant, and he's ministering to the flock. And so he's also encouraging Gaius to to be equipped and to be nourished by the flock, not to seek for um, any sort of um, uh, of gifts or, or needs from outside. Um, and that's essentially like the same system that we have within the church. Uh, the body always supports uh, the clergy, right? Um, and, and that's why he is uh, encouraging Gaius to do. And he's saying, you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Is that preparing them spiritually to kind of go out and serve? Yes. Or... Yes. 
send them forward on the journey of men worthy of God. And, and I, I mean, I, I looked at that in a very dynamic sense. Um, because, uh, I mean, he, he even says, in a very vague way, just in a manner worthy of God. And so everybody that has different gifts will be able to uh, just bring that to life in whatever way. You just send them forth and um, whatever unique gifts that person has can now um, be used for, for God. Um, whether it's to, to serve in this way or that way, whether it's um, to go and preach or to go and uh, minister in prisons or hospitals, whatever it is. But he just says, send them forward on their journey. Right, any uh, comments or questions? So let's read from we'll go from nine to twelve. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephus, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you know that our testimony is true. Okay, very good. Take a moment to read that one more time. Okay, what do you guys think? It's almost compared and contrasting Diotrephus and Demetrius. 
Very. Because Josh puts a pride and hypocrisy, and then he breaks it up by saying, don't imitate what is evil, but it's good, and then he goes on to explain what Demetrius is, um, and then he has a good testimony from all from the truth itself, and taking the truth itself as in Christ himself. Yes. Um, yes, 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 absolutely. And that, to him, is... It, is one of the most important things for, for a leader because you're guiding your flock. And so he says, you're going to either guide them this way or that way. Like you're going to follow the footsteps of uh, Diotrephus, it's not going to go well. But Demetrius, he's good. Follow um, his example. Um, now, what really makes Diotrephus, a a bad example is what? It's pride, preeminent. Exactly. It's pride. And what what he wanted to emphasize in 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 someone with an issue is probably like the, the core issue that you can pick out for any servant. Um, because Diotrephus is supposedly a part of the church, right? Um, he said that he wants to have preeminence among them. So he is among them. And so if he's among them, he's serving. He wants to be a a big figure. He wants to have a name for himself. He wants to be preeminent. He wants to be among the top. And that's essentially what pride is. And so, he, he really wanted to emphasize that out of everything that he, uh, he could have mentioned. Um, I presume, and I'm sure you guys would agree, that if this is the issue with the Atrophus, that he probably had plenty of other issues. Someone who loves to have preeminence uh, is probably greedy. Um, he's uh, probably uh, maybe lazy if he's um, always just concerned about satisfying himself. Um, maybe there's just like a whole package of issues with the atrophies, but he really just picked out the core issue. And that's always, always the core issue with any servant that is on the wrong road, it always is a product of some pride or, or some uh, sort of um, vainglory. Um, and it's the exact opposite of Demetrius. Um, Father, uh, Father Tedros says the purpose of this talk with Gaius is not to condemn Diotrephus, but for Gaius not to follow his example. And so he's not just mentioning all this about Diotrephus just to throw him under the bus. Like, it's, it's not his concern just to give uh, Diotrephus a, a bad name so that um, he could excommunicate him. He's, he's concerned about protecting Gaius and the rest of the flock. 
Because once you expose something, you can protect yourself from it. But whenever it just goes undercover, then you may be deceived by it. And so, one of the first things that we have to do um, in abiding by the truth is to expose the lies, is to expose um, that this person is doing something wrong, and so I cannot follow that. And, and that's exactly what St. John is doing. He's exposing something for Gaius' sake. So, so guys could stay on the, 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 the right path that he's on right now. Does that make sense? And so, he says that if I come, I'll call to mind his deeds which he does prating against us with malicious words. So, the Atrophist has a baggage. <laughs> like, it's not just uh, like one issue with him. Like I said, he's, he's prating against them, uh, using malicious words, so he doesn't have um, clean words or pure words. So there's definitely something that is um, defiled within his heart. Okay, uh, but again, the, the essence of the whole issue is that it's his pride, or, or um, the fact that he wants to have preeminence among them. And so any servant has to be the opposite of this. Any servant wants to have like the least eminence, whatever the opposite of preeminence is, I don't know. Uh, on eminence. <laughs> Post eminence. Post. <laughs> I guess that works. You have the eminence first, I'm last. <laughs> so, Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And um, I, I want no glory out of it. Um, even the only time we see Christ praying um, for the revelation of His glory in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, glorify your Son. Um, the, the fathers understood that for what it really meant and that He's praying for the world to, to realize the love of God the Father in the crucifixion and the love that they see in Christ. And Christ never sought his own glory. He never wanted to have a name for himself. Um, many times they actually uh, pursued him to make him a king. And he would like run away. Um, he entered into uh, Jerusalem in Holy Week on a donkey. He entered into the world in a manger with you know, poor animals and um, lived as a carpenter. Um, just a few days ago, we celebrated the, the entrance of the Lord into the temple on the eighth day. And uh, they offered two turtle doves. The, the, the offering could have been something else, depending on the, the wealth of the family. It could have been uh, a, a bigger animal, but because they were poor, all they could offer was the two turtle doves. 
Um, so he had nothing. He said, the son of man has no place to lay his head. He didn't want to uh, have a lot. He didn't want to uh, have a name. Um, and that's what we follow, um, as opposed to what Diotrephus was doing. He's also like the exact opposite of Gaius. We said one of the hallmark qualities of Gaius was his love. his love, his hospitality, that he uh, cared for the brethren and for strangers. Okay, but the Atrophus does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. So. He's clearly like a stumbling block for the lost sheep. Anybody who is struggling to come back to the church um, is pushed away even further by Diotrephus. Um, a good leader always just speaks of God's love and forgiveness at the heart of the, the whole message. I'm not saying... Uh, we never speak of the fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, like a few weeks ago, we spent like the whole time on that. Um, and I'm not saying we don't speak about other things, but at the heart of the, of the gospel is the love of God. Um, the fathers say the parable of the prodigal son is the gospel within the gospels. Like that parable is the essence of of God's love and Christianity as a whole. And so, if a servant is going to be a real servant, um, one of his uh, primary roles is to speak of God's love and acceptance and to, to speak words of encouragement, to speak life, to be a light so that people uh, have the courage to uh, run back to God, um, so that people can believe in the love and the forgiveness of God that God will accept them no matter what. Um, which is certainly not what Diotrephus was doing. Um, I was talking to, um, to another priest a while ago about uh, some of the issues that we've had within uh, our culture when it comes to preaching. <laughs> and uh, we always say, like, don't do this. Baba Yeshua, you know, God is going to be upset with you. Like, not that that's evil, but it does paint this whole, like, guilt trip that we always feed people. Um, and people learn to paint a very different picture of God, and they don't see Him as love and as someone who accepts them no matter what. They're not confident in their identity, their own self-esteem, um, their own worth and value. Uh, they don't realize that each individual person is, is worth his priceless blood. Um, and, and God does not want to give you a guilt trip, does not want you to just shrivel up in the corner every time you make a mistake. Um, we rob people of hope whenever we preach in that sort of uh, tone. Um, so, one of the hallmarks of a servant is 
Um, to represent Christ, just as his arms were fixed wide open on the cross, the servant has to, to reach out with the very same posture, with his arms fixed wide open as well. It's just sad whenever I speak to people that go to churches and they tell me that they don't go to church anymore because they didn't feel welcomed. It's so heartbreaking. And if this is what's happening in the world, it's one thing, but if it's happening within the church, it's an entirely different issue. I mean, this is what should essentially be the representation of Christ. And if the servant isn't representing Christ, then who is? Right? So when it comes to Demetrius, what can we say about him? He has a good testimony. He has a good testimony. The word testimony and witness are exactly from the same root. They're the exact same root. And it is the same word for martyr. We mentioned that a few weeks ago as well. So he bears witness. He, he is a living testimony. So that's essentially what a martyr is. Martyria. That's, that's the Greek for martyr. So literally... Martyria is witness. Martyria is testimony. So uh, we know a martyr bears witness um, in, in the sense of giving his life as a sacrifice to God. Um, but we don't see anything about Demetrius being a martyr. <laughs> right? He didn't shed his blood for Christ, at least not when this epistle was written, maybe he does after, but <laughs> um, he's still a martyr, he's still bearing witness, he's still uh, a living testimony of Christ, of the Gospel. He's bearing witness of the truth itself, right? Because others confirm the witness that he is Bearing, right? He says, Demetrius has a good testimony from all. So others are, are bearing witness of him. And from what? The truth itself. He said that God himself is the truth. He's the one who bears witness to Demetrius's work. He's the one that bears witness to um, Demetrius's model as a servant. Okay. Anything else you guys want to mention about that whole passage? Or anything specific about Demetrius? Remember in uh, I think First Corinthians. 
St. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? In verse 11, St. John says, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And he who does good is of God, but he who does not, who does evil, has not seen God. So again, there's this stark contrast. Um, and, and we are encouraged to detect that contrast so that we can imitate what is good. And uh, a lot of people like discredit um, the significance of um, reading the lives of the saints and meditating on their life, praying for their, their intercessions. Um, a, a lot of Christian circles don't recognize the significance of that, but it's important for us to meditate on the lives of the saints, to imitate their actions, um, and, and especially, especially for children. Like, growing up, there's nothing more powerful than for a child to see a living model of Christ in people that they can relate to. Um, just growing up and reading the life of someone like St. George, and you know, like a little boy uh, is always uh, excited about like action figures and heroes and this and that, and here you have like St. George, a soldier that comes and um, they even have like those little corny movies back then, and he's all heroic and like it's powerful. Um, but I don't know why we lose that as we grow up sometimes. We, we lose the significance of, of dwelling on the lives of the saints. Um, for, for the ascetics, the paradise of the fathers was like a core reading or, or like a, an, an essential part of their, um, of their reading materials throughout their whole monastic life, that they would read how the saints dealt with certain issues and how they struggled against temptations and how they built their life of prayer and love and um, what real wisdom looked like in all of those situations. And the more we see like the practical manifestation of what the Christian life really looks like in relatable people like the saints, it becomes real to us. It becomes something that we could really reach and imitate ourselves. Um, and, and we're not idolizing these people as, as though they are our own idols to worship. Um, especially whenever St. Paul said for us to do that. So it's like a commandment. Um, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He didn't say, you should think about imitating me. <laughs> he didn't say, um, one option is to imitate me, if you prefer. <laughs> says, no, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what St. John is telling here, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. So again, imitate what is good. Um, I know this is a little tangent, but I just came to mind right now. I remember watching a clip of Kobe like a couple of years ago. Um, maybe, maybe a little more than a couple of years, but he was... Uh, at the end of his career, he said that he was going around looking at different clips from other players so that he could steal moves from them. 
He said, I've already mastered everything. Um, so I, I started watching what other people in the league are doing so, so that I could like take a move from this guy or a move from that guy and apply it to myself and perfect it. And he probably wanted to do it even better than the way he learned it from. Um, the Christian is exa exactly the same. That he sees this virtue um, modeled and exemplified in real life. And so he says, this is what St. Anthony did, I'm going to do that. This is what um, St. Rebecca did, I'm going to do that. And not just in people from the early, like first few centuries, but modern day people now. Like, this is what my servant does, so I'm going to do this. Or this is what my brother does, I'm going to do that. Um, we're very, very influential, and so we don't understand how much people really do look up to us. Um, like, uh, all, all of the, the youth are just straight-up copycats. Like, all they do is they look up to somebody and they imitate. He's doing this, they do it. He's doing that, they do it. So we have to uh, live in that same sort of life and understand um, the responsibility that, that has been given to us to also... Um, be good role models. Right. Any thoughts before we just wrap up in the last few verses? Just two final verses. So who wants to read 13 and 14 first? I have many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you, our friends. Greet you. Greet the friends by name. Very good. Take a second to just read that one more time. Alright, so what do you get from that? I think it was the last epistle of the same thing too. Exactly the same. Um, several of the commentators um, um, at the end of this epistle simply said, refer to my comments from the last epistle. <laughs> <laughs> so, he really does conclude in the same way and so there's not a lot of new stuff we could say here, um, but that he really does value the personal interaction above anything else. Okay? St. John Chrysostom says, God's word is not written, but, God's, but God has recorded it to us with our own language due to our weaknesses so that we may benefit. But in fact, it is spirit and light. So it's not written, it's not just limited to the words, even though he has recorded it for us in our own language here in the scriptures, because of our own limitations and our weaknesses. But in fact, it is spirit and life. The, the reality is it is much more than words. It's much more than just letters. It is spirit and life. So we have to taste the word of God, and, and people see it in our lives and written in our hearts. 
So, yes, we have His Word written for us in the Scriptures as letters just because of our own limitations. But, He says, it's more than that. It's spirit and life. And we have to taste the Word of God and people see it in our lives and written in our hearts. Again, we just have to be walking Gospels. We have to be walking Gospels. Um, we have to model the light that we um, read about in the Scriptures. If the Gospel just remains within these pages, it, it fails. I mean, that's plain and simple as it is. If it just stays in, in these pages, it fails. But if it lives in our hearts, and it becomes a living word, it becomes life, if it is put into action, then it serves its purpose. God didn't give us the scriptures so that it can remain in the pages that they're written on, so that they can be written in our hearts, and in being embedded in our core, they can produce actions of love and truth. And I wonder how many people like, taste the scriptures from interacting with us. Taste the scriptures in our life. That, that can get a sense of what Christianity is all about and what God has said to us in the scriptures just by the testimony of our life. And, and that's why he says... I want to see you face to face because that's going to tell you so much more than what's written. The person interacting with the, the actions tell you much more than the words. Um, that's what he wants Gaius to really focus on and to imitate. And that's why he says, Demetrius was a testimony of that. Imitate that. He is a living witness of the truth. He is a living witness of love. And just as you are faithfully ministering, you're hospitable to your neighbors and the strangers. Continue to imitate Demetrius. And when I see you, you'll have even more to imitate. Um, and that's essentially what every servant has to focus on. Um, to just be a living witness of, of the Word of God. Any uh, comments or questions? Alright, so take five, just meditate on that. We want beast mode today, finish the whole book. <laughs> um, but in the 14 verses, there really was a lot packed in, and plenty for us to, uh, to meditate on and to benefit from. So just take some time to see how we could apply that into our own um, spiritual life in, in a practical way. And glory be to God forever. Amen.